Morning, church. Aren't you grateful for the relentless love of God that pursues each of us? We need to be reminded of that truth again and again and again. This has uh, been an interesting uh, week in in many ways. Uh, We are the body of Christ, the family of God. And uh, as the family of God, we weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Uh, Last Sunday, Jared Martin, a part of our fellowship, uh, died in a motorcycle crash right here in Sheboygan. Uh, Jared was 28 years old. Uh, Heather was on the back of that motorcycle. She had uh, extensive hip surgery uh, this week and is uh, recovering. Uh, but those uh, funeral services will be right here at Southside on Saturday at 11, visitation just before the service. We don't know what tomorrow holds, do we? And so would you pray for this family? Would you also pray for that service? Uh, this place is going to be packed, I would imagine, and the good news of Jesus uh, will be shared to many who don't yet know that relentless love that Jared knew. And so uh, as you think of it, pray this week. Appreciate that. Uh, Job 121, Job gets wiped out. And he says this, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There is truth in that statement. That, is that not life in general? Uh, with that Uh, Our family welcomed Vivian into the world this week, and we are very, very grateful uh, for God's answered prayer. Uh, Leah delivered at Freighter because this was a high-risk pregnancy. Uh, There was speculation from the medical community of the possibility of some uh, devastating birth defects. Uh, That did not happen. God proved himself very faithful, and for that, uh, we are rejoicing. And so test by test uh, is showing uh, that God is faithful. Uh, Vivian is 8 pounds, 3 ounces. She is 21 inches. And I am very grateful that she looks like Leah rather than Cameron. (laughs) But this has been an emotional week for us personally. Uh, There are still some tests to go. Uh, There are some parts that uh, don't appear to be completely all there, but uh, we serve a God, according to Romans, who calls in existence that which is not for his honor and glory. And so if you'll trust us with that, uh, we're rejoicing in all that God has done. So praise God for his goodness. Well, last week we began our journey through Jonah, the book of Jonah. I've had a wonderful time uh, working on these messages. I want you to know that. Uh, Jonah, we kind of think of the the fishing story uh, when we talk about Jonah. And anyone who has put a lure on a line or a worm on a hook has a story to tell about the big one that got away, certainly. Uh, But... The book of Jonah is perhaps the greatest fishing story ever told, and there's some real whoppers out there. Some of them are true. On February 8, 2012, fishermen found this enormous 39-foot, 7-ton fish in their net off the shores of Pakistan. Well, that's a big fish, right? Well, that's, a, that's a pretty big fish. 
But we discover that Jonah is so much more than a thrilling tale about a man living in a fish for three days. In fact, that's just a minor piece of the book of Jonah. So let's begin by looking back at some of the things that we touched on last week to kind of get us back up to speed. The basics of the book. We start with who? Who is the author of the book of Jonah? And by the way, if you have sermon notes, now's the time to use them. If you need sermon notes, would you raise your hand and uh, our ushers will get you those. Good. We got some folk here. Good. Keep your hand up and we will get you those sermon notes. It's a great way to follow along. Okay. Who wrote the book of Jonah? Miko, your hand was up. No, you did not do that. Okay, good. It wasn't Miko. Who wrote the book of Jonah? How many of you think it was Jonah? I do too. Very good. Tradition says it's Jonah, the prophet himself. Jonah, son of Amittai. Here we go. But we saw that Jonah was far from being this uh, kind of spiritual superstar. We think of the prophets of God and we kind of elevate them to a status they probably don't belong. They were greatly used by God. But we look at the character of Jonah and we found some interesting things that are going to play out over these next weeks. Jonah was proud. He was prejudiced. He was pig-headed. He was far more than that. He was stubborn. He was disobedient. He was unfaithful. He was a grumbler. He was a complainer. He was mean-spirited. He was bad-tempered. He was a cantankerous old grump, in fact, as we'll see. And we look at these four chapters of Jonah. So God, with his typical sense of humor, gives him the name Jonah, which in Hebrew means dove. Dove. Anything but a dove was Jonah. So we looked at the what, what. Now the book of Jonah differs from the writings of every other Old Testament prophet in that its focus is on the prophet rather than the prophecy. This is the only book of the Old Testament where this is true. The primary focus is the prophet on his mission for God. Jonah was one of the earliest prophets, the successor of Elijah and Elisha. He was a contemporary then of Hosea, Amos, Isaiah, if we put him on the timeline. When was this book written? Well, we look into the scripture. We see that Jonah served as a prophet to the ten northern tribes. What were the ten northern tribes called? Israel correct, during the reign of Jeroboam II, which is 793 to 753 B.C. So long, long time ago was Jonah. Where did this happen? Rather than send Jonah prophesy to his own people, God had a little bit of a different mission. God sent him to Assyria and the capital of Assyria, which was Nineveh, correct. Nineveh is one of the oldest cities in recorded history, located about 200 200 miles north of present-day Baghdad in Iraq. It had a history of being a cruel, wicked, violent place. That's what the Lord calls this city. It's a cruel, wicked, violent place. It is filled with idols and false gods. Now, Jonah was sent to a people that he didn't like. In fact, he hated these people, so he ran. Can we blame him for running? We'll look at that in a little more depth in just a moment. So, you ready to dig in? Chapter 1. We're going to take this apart verse by verse, then we're going to put it back together. Okay? This is called expositional preaching. Verse by verse. So, we're going to stay right here in Jonah chapter 1. We're going to kind of take it apart. We'll put it all back together and listen for God's voice through each step of the way. Ready to go? So here we go. Jonah 1, 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now this phrase appears twice in the book, right here in verse 1, and then again in 3, 1. 
twice it appears and both we hear god giving jonah a very specific command and then we see jonah's response each time god gives him that command now the command of god given to jonah is found in chapter two he says get up and go get up and go oftentimes that's the way god speaks get up and go get up and go right get up and go to the great city of nineveh announce my judgment against it because i have seen how wicked its people are now here's something very very important to note this is a picture of how god generally operates he operated like this in the old testament he's operated like this throughout history he's operating in our lives right now okay pay attention here's how god operates he tells us what he's about to do then he invites us to join him that's the way God operates. He tells us what his plans are. Then he invites us into his plan to be a part of the great plan of God. We don't do stuff for God. We can't. We don't have anything to offer God. Rather, we identify where God is at work. Then we join him in what he's doing. That works a lot better. Have you ever tried to do something for God? Huh? Okay, I'll do this for you, God. Right? Yeah, doesn't work out too well oftentimes. It's his way, it's his mission, it's his power, it's his resources, it's his time done in his way for his glory. That's the way the kingdom of God moves forward. We then identify where God is at work and then join him. Now, moment by moment, he's inviting us to join him because he wants us to be a part of that incredible process of reaching the world so moment by moment he's giving us an invitation into what he's doing i don't care if that's at your place of work at your school right now friday night he's always inviting us to be a part of what he's doing now the question is how do i identify where god is at work how do i know it's not me how do i know it's not the enemy how do i know it's not my family upbringing how do i know all this stuff well stay tuned we'll kind of unpackage this uh, as we go the question is are we listening to god are we listening for his voice because the good shepherd's always speaking to the sheep and his sheep know his voice and they will respond to him because they recognize his voice he's constantly speaking to us do you know what the voice of god sounds like hmm okay just thought i'd ask Instead of joining God, Jonah chooses to run from him. We look into verse 3. But Jonah got up and went. God says, get up and go. Jonah says, I got up and went. Hey, how's this going to work out? Let's see. He goes in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Anyone here ever done that? You go the opposite way that God asks you to go? No, not at Southside. That never happened here. Get up and go. We got up and went. No, we wouldn't do that, right? Not here not here we all love jesus and we want to follow him every moment don't we ha ha right okay hmm you ever run away you ever run away yeah let me wind the clock back a few years i was 17 cindy was 15 at that age we knew everything it was amazing we knew everything we were so wise so we decided we're going to run away we're going to run away together Oh, isn't this a brilliant plan? At that point, we were living in Wisconsin. Soon after, we weren't. And so, ooh, I took my 1961 Dodge Valiant, and I parked it at a truck stop in Stoughton, Wisconsin. There, we got out, and we asked 
the truck driver, where are you going? I'm heading south. Okay, can we go with you? So we hitchhiked from Wisconsin. Uh, this is the early 70s, folks. Just chill, would you? Uh, so he said, sure, come on, let's go. Heading south. So we headed south. And we decided we were going to get off in Kentucky. Sounds like a good place. It's warm, right? So, And I wanted to see Mammoth Cave. So <laughs> what a deal. So we ran away. I left my car there. Huh. Uh, first couple of days were really nice, staying in that dumb little tent in the heat of Kentucky. Yeah. But then we didn't have any money, and uh, man, we were so smart, we thought, but we weren't. And so, oh, Cindy, where are you? She'll have a different version than me, but uh, I had her call home because I was so brave. And our two dads came to get us. <laughs> Wasn't that a fun car ride home from Kentucky to Wisconsin? <laughs> okay. We ran. We were afraid. We were confused. We didn't know what the future wanted to take control of our own destiny. So we ran from those in authority over us. Didn't work out so well didn't work out so well. How does it work for Jonah? Let's see. He went down to the port of Joppa in verse 3 where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Why? Why did Jonah disobey like this intentionally, deliberately? Why did he do this? Jonah, you're a prophet. You're a man of God. Why would you disobey God? He says, get up and go. You got up and went and you're going in the opposite direction. Now he wasn't a coward, as we'll see from his attitude in the storm in just a moment. He wasn't a homebody. He didn't like to travel because his ticket to Tarshish was a whole lot further than where he was supposed to go to Nineveh. Now, Tarshish was located on the southern coast of Spain, a long ways away. This was a far more dangerous ocean voyage than this shorter cross-country trek to Nineveh. So it wasn't that he was afraid to travel. It would have taken Jonah nearly a year to get to Tarshish. Right? Hmm. Now, the contrast between Nineveh and Tarshish, I think, is very significant, and that's what we want to sit on just for a moment. Nineveh is more than 500 miles east of Jonah's hometown in modern-day Iraq. Tarshish was west of Gath Heifer, where he was from. In fact, 2,500 miles from Israel in the complete opposite direction. It was the end of the earth as people in this day knew it. That was as far as they had gone. They didn't know what was on the other side, uh, headed out into the Atlantic Ocean. This was the end of the earth. I'm going to get as far away from God as I can. The most remote travel destination possible to Jonah. I'm getting out of here, and I'm going where he can't find me. (laughs) Jonah's reason for running was that, quite simply, he hated the Assyrians. That's why he did it, because he hated the Assyrians. Assyria was an idolatrous, proud, and ruthless nation. We discovered that their whole military uh, basis for everything that they did, conquer, conquer, conquer. And, and then when they did conquer, what they did to the people, we talked about that briefly last week, they were known as the experts in torture. They would flay people. That is, means they would skin them alive. They would peel the skin off an individual, trying to keep the skin intact, and they would set the people on fire. Ow, ow, horrific history, archaeology all proves they were some really nasty, nasty people. Huh. 
And now they're bent on world conquest and they're knocking right on the door of Israel. So Jonah says, ah, I'm not going to those guys. Number one, they're going to kill me. Number two, uh, I hate them. I hate them. Now, think of someone you hate. Again, don't look at me like that. Like, we're in church. We love everybody. We love Jesus. We love you too. Or we're trying, right? We love everybody. Now think of someone you hate. Someone you despise. Someone you just can't stand. Are you thinking of someone? Someone you would avoid if they were in another aisle in Walmart. You'd like, oh man, I'm not going down that aisle. Uh-uh. They're there. Uh-uh. Who is it? Is it Kim Jong-un? Leader of North Korea? Why not you meet up with him sometime? Hey, Cam, how's it going, right? How about the Las Vegas shooter? Maybe it's someone closer. Hmm. Maybe it's an obnoxious Viking fan. Oh, is Dustin Veldkamp in here? Dustin's downstairs. Oh, so, okay, good. Sometimes they're obnoxious. Just can't stand them. So Jenny greets me at the door this morning. You know what Jenny says to me? She says, you know why the flags are at half-mast? I said, no, Jenny, why? They're preparing Packer fans for this afternoon. (laughs) Good, you hate them too. I feel better now. Okay. (laughs) If it's not that, it's the person that drives in the left lane five miles an hour below the speed limit, blocking everything up like they don't have a care in the world, and you can't read, slower traffic, keep right. Because I'm going much faster than you are, and you're going to cause an accident. Move over, would you? It's simple. Now think of someone you don't like, right? Just think of them. Maybe they're closer. Maybe they're right here in this room right now. What if God said, go to that person and I want you to love on them. Right from your heart, I want you to love on them. But they've hurt me, Lord. They've hurt me bad. God says, I want you to go to them. And hopefully they're going to turn from their wicked ways. And they're going to love me just like you love me. So put yourself in Jonah's place just for a moment. Now, you ever think about running from God? How many here have thought about running from God? Good. You're honest. Sometimes he asks us to do the impossible. That's scary. I can't do that. Beyond that, I don't want to do that. Right? I can't do that, God. Ever try running from God? Not just think about it, but try running from God? Woo, how'd that work for you? Now, Jonah was a diligent student of the Psalms. He was a prophet. He was a man of God. So he knew full well Psalm 139. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Jonah knew this. I can't go anywhere. There's nowhere I can go to get away from God. He knew this, but it didn't stop him from trying, did it? And he's just like us. We know we can't get away from God, but we continue to try to... maneuver it so we get our way in our time, right? The Lord is so patient with us, yet he disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those he loves. This is what God's love can look like. Look at the next verse, verse 4. The Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. What kind of love is this? It's amazing love. It's incredible love. Is it not? 
This is what love looks like because God disciplines those he loves. Let's not move on too quickly here. This was no coincidence that's happening here. The same God who was able to create and cause the storm is the same God who in love could calm the storm with just a word. It's the same God. Sailors from Tarshish were renowned as expert seafarers. These guys spent their entire lives on the ocean. They understood what was happening. But this storm was so bad, the Bible says they were terrified, enough to jettison their cargo overboard. Now think about this. If it took a year to get from point A to point B in the direction that they were headed, this was their livelihood. This was their income. This was their hope for providing for their family. But they decided quite wisely that they valued their lives more than their livelihood. And so they start to jettison the cargo, throwing it overboard. Let's lighten the ship. Let's see what happens here. Amazing how spiritual we all get when push comes to shove. So they started shouting to their gods, help us, help us here in the storm. So where's our hero? Where's Jonah in all this, right? The man of God, the prophet of God. Right? He's deep in prayer like the others, shouting to God to help. No. Verse 5. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up. Pray to your God. Maybe you'll pay attention to us and spare our lives. We're in desperate straits here. Whoa. So next, the sailors did what they knew to do. This was part of their custom, part of their culture, still a part of in certain parts of the world. It's our version of drawing straws called casting lots. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Whoa, our sin will always find us out sooner or later, eventually. It will, it will. But even God was orchestrating all this because God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. Here's what Proverbs says. We may cast lots, but the Lord determines how they fall. Huh. God is in control of all of that. So the frantic sailors ask, why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded, who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? We still got 20 questions to go. We're going to play this game until we find out. What is going on here? The ship is going down. So Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Now, in your Bible, as in my Bible, the word Lord is capitalized in chapter 1. What does that mean? Why is it all in caps? It means Yahweh. The proper name for the God of the Hebrews. The word is Yahweh. Jonah also tells him this Yahweh, this all-powerful God who created the land and the sea, could handle this situation. And if he created that, wow, a storm like this, what else is he capable of? So panicked before, they're now freaked out of their minds. Ah! We're going down, right? We're going down. What are we going to do? So the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, well, what should we do to stop this storm? Ah, bad boy, bad boy. What you going to do? Hmm, hmm. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Ha! Huh. 
what are we going to do? Well, Jonah says, I'm the bad boy. Throw me into the sea. And when we become calm again, I know that this terrible storm, it's all my fault. Oh, he owns it. Isn't this a beautiful moment? A beautiful moment. He owns his wrongdoing. Or did he? Huh. Now, don't miss the significance here. Jonah would rather die in disobedience against God than live in obedience for God. That's how much he had set in his mind he was going to go in the totally opposite direction that God wanted him to go. Hmm. We don't know if Jonah could swim, but even if he could, it was suicide to go overboard. Jonah knew this. Jonah was far from God. Maybe that's you today. At any rate, these scared, stiff sailors tried to do the right thing in their own strength. Hey, we can figure this out. If we just work together, if we just work harder, if we just get smarter, wow, we can overcome anything together. Maybe we need another degree. Maybe we need this. Maybe we need that. But if we just do it together, we can overcome. Hmm. Hmm. Didn't work. Instead, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. I don't care how strong you think you are, how strong I think I am, how smart I think I am. I can't overcome this. This is a God thing, and it's much, much bigger than any of us in our own puny strength can handle. God's starting to make his point. Then they cried out to the Lord. They cried out to Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. This is a surreal moment as I consider this story. The pagans pray, the prophet pouts, the pagans get it, the man of God is clueless. Huh, how does this work? Then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. Huh. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. What an amazing God that we sang about. He is an amazing God. His grace is amazing. Taking even the runaway prophet's rebellion to glorify himself. These sailors are introduced to God by the prophet's disobedience. Only our God can take that which is intended for evil and make it good and make all things work together for the those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So, the sailors are saved, the storm is stilled, and this is all about God's limitless and relentless love for every one of us, for each one of us. And I'm wondering, anybody going through a storm right now? See, if we're honest, we all are. And every person in this room is either headed into a storm, in the middle of a storm, or just coming out of a storm. Those are your three choices. Because in this world, you will have much tribulation, Jesus said. And if you attempt to live for God, there will be plenty of storms in our lives. So when it comes to this whole kind of storm thing, that's the forecast. That's the forecast. But I know a God who's greater than the storm. Do you know this God? He is greater than... Then the storm, the storm you're about to go into that you're fearing, the storm that you're in right now in which you feel totally overwhelmed or coming out of the storm and you think maybe, maybe it's just behind me. And I don't know, there's, there's some people that I've met having lived around the world, they just exist in the storm. 
uh, these are extra grace people. I can't believe them because their life is always in a storm. Everything that happens is stormy. It's just they can't get out. They love Jesus. They're great people. You can't say, oh, look what they did. No, it's nothing like that. They just live in the storm. And it's amazing to see these people function with the grace of God in their lives. I really appreciate people like that. I do. Now, maybe, maybe the storm that we're facing is one of our own making, like Jonah. Maybe we know when we're connecting the dots, this is a consequence of that. And we start putting it together, and the Holy Spirit puts his finger right on that thing and says, hmm, hmm, this is why this. Or maybe, maybe we have no idea why this is happening, like the sailors. They're just clueless. They're just along for the ride. It's all about Jonah, but they're included in the story. And the storm really has nothing to do with them, although they have to respond to the storm as well. But it's not of their making. They're just caught up in it. But regardless, storms happen. It's an opportunity to grow spiritually for all of us. What will we do with it? He wants to reveal areas in our heart that are not fully submitted and surrendered to him. He wants to show us how powerless and worthless and futile our idols really are. And you say, idols? An idol is anything we trust more than God. When push comes to shove, who do we really trust? An idol, then, is anything we love more than God. And there's some people here that I would suggest that you love your family, your kids, your job, your home, your whatever. You love that more than God. Now we can say we love God more. Huh. Really? Does it show? Huh. In idols, anything we worship other than God. And he loves us so much, enough to send a storm to get our attention. That, hey, I'd like to be number one. I'd like to be number one. When God sends a storm in our life, he reveals what's truly inside of us. Have you found that to be true? And we're facing a storm and our backs are against the wall. That's when we know what really is in our hearts. He exposes who we worship, what we worship, who we're really trusting in. And the storms are the vehicle that God often uses because he disciplines those he loves. Now, what's God showing us in our storm? It's time to trust again in the one who went to the cross for us and paid the price so that we might have connection with the Father. The one who can calm the storm. And when I say that, please understand what I'm saying. Often when God calms the storm in our lives... He brings peace to our heart without ever changing a circumstance. You understand what I'm saying by that? Because God is far more concerned about what's happening in our heart right now than what's happening around us. Because in life, it's, what's really important is not what happens to us. It, it's what happens in us. What is our response? And if God has sent or allowed the storm, it makes no difference. It's here, and it's revealing what's truly inside. And so God in his love does that. And oftentimes he will not change one single circumstance in the storm. But he's going to 
poke his finger right in the heart and the peace that surpasses all of our understanding and all of our circumstances will guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Do you know that kind of peace when the storms come? That's what he offers to us in Jesus. He might clear up the skies. It's 76 degrees with the light wind out of the south. Not very often. When it gets like that, ride it as far as you can go. Because the storm's coming, and it's okay. What will we do? How will we respond? God is knocking at our heart's door, saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What will we do? And so this morning, thank you for listening. Now it's time to listen even more intently for what the Holy Spirit is saying. So I'd like to close our service a bit differently. We have some people who love to pray around here. And uh, if you have need of prayer, uh, you are welcome to come up here and sit in the front. And nobody's going to counsel you or give you advice. Uh, We just want to pray with you. Because where two or three agree is touching any one thing, it'll be done by our Father in heaven. Maybe there's a storm right now that's just threatening to sink the ship. And you'd like somebody just to pray with you. That's cool. If not, I'd like us just to be dismissed a little bit differently. I'd like us to create just a few moments of space so we can hear what God is saying to us because he does speak to us through his word. What is he saying about the storm in your life right now? And our response to that storm. Are we going to run away? Are we going to run to? Are we going to allow this storm to show what's truly inside? Or are we going to leave here unchanged, smug in our own spiritual pride, thinking that somehow we're beyond all this? (laughs) Oh, my. And so I'm just going to ask us in a moment just about or stand or do whatever you want to do, but I'm asked to do it silently because I'd like us to create some space to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And there's so much noise in our heads and in our lives. There's times we just need a moment to catch our breath. God, what are you saying to me right now? What are you saying? And to make this a point of surrender. And when you're ready, you are dismissed. I'd ask that you do so and leave quietly out of respect for those who are still here in praying and save the the family fun and fellowship that's a part of our Southside culture out in the foyer if we could do that. But just when you're ready, when you feel, okay, I've heard from the Lord. I'm ready. I'm good. I would just ask that you leave quietly. Instructions clear. There's no closing prayer. It's open-ended. You want to stay for five seconds? You want to stay till halftime of the Packer game? Take as much time as you need. But let's do some business with God. Let him speak to us. I ask that you leave quietly. Have a great week. Read the book of Jonah. There's a lot of truth packed into these 48 verses, four chapters that we want to dig into again next week. 
Clear enough? So church, let's just wait on the Lord. Listening for his voice. Offering to him our hearts. Those circumstances, those situations. This relationship, this habit. This trial. This which our great God can handle. And oh, how he loves you. He loves you so much enough to to keep us on the right path and the right track. Receive his love. Open your heart to his love. Come back to his love. He waits with open arms. Have a great week. Lord bless you.